0: Well, good morning, welcome to those of you that are here in person. Welcome to all of you joining us online. I'm so glad you're here with us. My name's Cale. I am the Timber Grove campus pastor here at The Story. And as you just saw, the soon to be completed Timber Grove campus. So we are in an exciting season for our new campus here at The Story. And our media director, Julie Catois, she produces all of these videos. And, And she also coaches me Uh, Before every sermon, before every podcast, before any speaking engagement, she coaches me and she says, not to get too excited. My hands go everywhere, right? She's like, don't get too excited at the beginning of your sermon. And then she produces a video like this. And what do you expect? So I'm I'm blaming my excitement this morning on her. But we're we're in an exciting time for our Timber Grove campus. As you heard Pastor Eric say, we are days away from completion of our construction project. And so we're outfitting it and we are prayerfully going to open the doors of our Timber Grove campus in 2020. And we are excited. Uh, I just wanna thank you for your support. I'm thankful for God's faithfulness too. But, but we've been talking a lot as a church about this new campus. And, and what I wanna do is I wanna, I wanna share our heart behind it. And, and that's pretty simple. And what we're doing is we're following Jesus. And Jesus, his his presumable last words that he said was to go and make disciples of all nations. And that's our goal. That's our aim. That's what our mission here at the story, that's what it was birthed out of, this commission to go and make disciples. Our mission, to inspire non-religious people to follow Jesus. That's our aim. That's our goal. And that's what we're all in for. And so, The Timber Grove campus, it's not dividing our congregation. It's not about dividing our congregation. It's about multiplying. It's about sending out. And and we are one church united with one mission under different roofs. And if this pandemic has proven anything to us, it's that we can be united under different roofs. We have people here in our building worshiping together. We have those of you online that are in little congregations in your houses throughout our city, throughout the nation. And it has been awesome to see how we have been one church united together. And just as as you can be united together under different roofs, you can be divided under the same roof. And let me prove it to you. How many of you are looking forward to the political talk at the Thanksgiving table this year? Anyone, those of you online, Let me know in the chat. I have one hand here. But but we can be divided under the same roof. I'm thinking about catching COVID so I don't have to go to Thanksgiving dinner, right? I'm just kidding. I'm kidding, kind of, not really. Kidding, kidding. But just as our Thanksgiving tables, just as they can be divided, the church can be divided as well. And I grew up in a mega Baptist church in Kingwood, Texas. And it was an awesome place to grow up. They had an awesome youth group. It was a place where I was taught the Bible. It was a place where I was baptized. A place where I found friends. A place where I found a couple girlfriends. It was a place where I dominated the church basketball league. It was was a place where I had all these good memories growing up. but, But as I got older, I realized the factions. I realized the divisions within the church. And that was... That was the excuse I needed to run away from the church. And I fled from the church. But if you flee from something, then you have to flee to something. Right, I didn't necessarily lose faith in God. I just lost faith in his people. It was these people, these Christians that claimed to hold the truth, claimed to be united together. And if they had division, then why would I want to be a part of that? And so what I fled to I fled to this flimsy, foundationless, this isolating faith. And what that looked like, it it looked a lot like me pursuing my own happiness and very little to do with me pursuing God's holiness. And and I thought I could follow Jesus by myself. And, And the real issue, it wasn't that the church was divided. It was that my heart was divided. I just wanted Jesus to be a part of my life. I didn't want him to be king of my life. And we're in the final week of this series. In this series, we're calling Elect Jesus. And, and what we're talking about is what we're saying is that you can't choose Jesus to be your president in two weeks, but you can choose him to be your king today. The series is not about the electability of Jesus. We're not talking about Jesus getting elected because Jesus, he didn't get elected. He got crucified. So we're talking about these foundational truths of Jesus, these statements that Jesus made that really built up his ministry, that really built up his mission. So we've talked about Jesus' statement of repent. We said that do not fear. We said the statement of all things are possible with God. And then today we're gonna talk about the statement Jesus makes when he said a house divided cannot stand. He said, a house divided against itself cannot stand. And you've probably heard the saying before, right? And I want to put this verse in context a little bit. This is at the very beginning of Jesus's ministry. So he starts performing all these miracles. He's turning water into wine. He's saying some, some pretty authoritative things. And his family, they catch wind of this. They catch wind of all the chaos that is going around Jesus and his ministry They find out that he's not even eating. He's got so so many people. He's not taking care of himself. And what they say is that Jesus has lost his mind. We need to go get him. So what they do is they pack up all their things from Nazareth and they head to Capernaum. It's about a 20 mile trek. And what the Bible says is that they go to take charge of Jesus. And that verb to take charge, it literally translates is that they go to arrest him. So his family, they're going to make a citizen's arrest of Jesus. So they're gonna make the citizens arrest of Jesus and they're gonna go and they're gonna take him back to Nazareth because he has lost his mind. Big bro Jesus is crazy. And, and as they are coming from Nazareth, not only was his family coming to Jesus, but the religious leaders were coming as well. And they were coming from Jerusalem and they caught wind of all of Jesus's miracles, of his exercising demons, Of what he's saying, and they go to stop Jesus. They go to stamp out his ministry. So they pack up all their things from Jerusalem. They make the 80 mile trek up to Capernaum, and they're gonna go tell Jesus, and they're gonna go tell everyone else that he is possessed. He's possessed by Satan. He's the prince of demons, and they're gonna go stop his ministry. So we see his family coming in from Nazareth. We see the religious leaders coming in from Jerusalem, and that's where we find ourselves in the text this morning. And it's Mark chapter 3 verses 23 through 26. And so Jesus called them over to him and began to speak to them in parables. And and I love this picture, right? Jesus, after his family, after the religious leaders, they're out of breath, they're worn out, they're exhausted, they come over. And Jesus says, no, 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 come a little closer. Sit down, let me tell you a story. Right? And you can tell the religious leaders like, no, 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 let me tell you a story, Jesus. Jesus. Right. His family's like, oh, here's crazy Jesus telling another story, right? So, but that's how Jesus teaches us. He teaches us through stories. And here's what he says. He said, how can Satan drive out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan opposes himself and is divided, he cannot stand. His end has come. So what Jesus is saying here, he's saying that the accusations from his family, the accusations from the religious leaders, they're nonsensical, they don't make sense. He's saying that, that if I were possessed, if I were crazy, then I would be at war with myself and I would self-destruct. And so what Jesus is warning his audience, what what he's warning us is about the perils of division from within. It's the perils of division from within that will ultimately destroy us. And and he lets us us know, he mentions three different scenarios in this. So he talks about a divided kingdom, a divided house, and a divided person. And so he's talking to his very Jewish family and the Jewish religious leaders who know very well what a divided kingdom looks like. The The once united, the once powerful kingdom of Israel was divided from within and split into two different kingdoms, split into the Northern kingdom of Israel and the Southern kingdom of Judah. And what happened? They got weaker and weaker and weaker and weaker until ultimately they were captured and destroyed. So Jesus' audience, they automatically picture this divided kingdom. But what do you think of when you hear a divided kingdom? Do you think of the civil war, a divided kingdom? Do you think of Abraham Lincoln's famous speech that he used, a house divided cannot stand? What do you think of? Do you think of 2020? Do you think of the divided kingdom that we are in right now? The most divided that it's ever been in my lifetime. That every household is fending for themselves, that everyone's serving a different king, and a divided kingdom, it's made up of divided households. And Jesus is very clear. He's he's talking to his very divided household and he's saying that we cannot stand. And I've lived in a divided house before. In my junior year in high school, my house started to change. things in my house started to get pretty tense. My sister was away at college, I was 17, and there was this growing divide between my parents. There was this growing divide. The things that we used to do together, we would do separately. My mom would drive separately to any sporting events than my dad. We stopped having family dinners together, and there was this growing divide, and it intensified over time until one day my sister comes back home from college. My parents sit us down and they say that we're getting a divorce. And, and it wasn't that big of a surprise to me. I, I was in the house. I, I saw what was going on. I saw the divide that was there. But the thing that, that I kept thinking about, it was that my family, we weathered a lot of storms together. We, we weathered a lot of problems that came from the outside in. And whenever these problems, whenever these storms came, we banded together as a family unit and it strengthened us. It it made us stronger. But when that division comes from within, it proved that we couldn't stand. And, And I'm thankful I have an awesome relationship with my mom. I have an awesome relationship with my dad. But at that time, we were a divided house made up of divided people. And the only thing scarier than divided people is a divided heart. There is nothing more dangerous to your relationship with God than a divided heart. A divided heart will destroy your walk with Christ. It'll destroy it. Jesus says you can't serve two masters. You can't serve God and money. You can't serve God and your job. In Psalm 86, it says this, it says, teach me your way, Lord. It says way, not ways, it says way. And that's alluding to Jesus, who is the way, the truth, the life. I love that. Teach me your way, Lord, that I may rely on your faithfulness. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. This Psalm is a prayer. And the most practical thing that we can do is we can pray to God for an undivided heart. If you have a divided heart, you can pray to God for an undivided heart because he's in the business of giving us new hearts, of giving us an undivided heart. So division from within, it leads to destruction. But according to Jesus, not every kind of division is destructive. And this is where Jesus starts making people uncomfortable. So Jesus asked this question, And Jesus is always asking questions. He asked 307 different questions in the span of the entire four gospels. And this is one of them. It's in Luke chapter 12. And he says, do you think that I have come to give peace on earth? And now we think, yes, right? Jesus came to bring peace on earth. I know my Christmas folks that you already have your Christmas lights out. You already listened to Christmas carols. Right, you've probably listened to this carol before that says, peace on earth. You might be listening to it right now. Hark the herald angels sing Glory to the newborn King Peace Peace on earth and mercy mild God. God and sinners reconciled Right, you're like, yes! Jesus came to bring peace on earth, that's a softball question. Thank you, Kale, for bringing a Christmas carol into an October sermon. Thank you, answers yes, Jesus came to bring peace. But then Jesus answers it like this. He says, do you think that I have come to give peace on earth? He says, no, I tell you, but rather division. He says, no, but rather division. And the Gospel of John says this. He says, thus the people were divided because of Jesus. Who's causing this division? It's Jesus. What's the dividing line? It's Jesus. The truth of Jesus is the dividing line. Truth inevitably causes division. And the great preacher, Charles Spurgeon, he says this. He says, truth comes before unity. There can't be unity without a foundation of truth. Jesus makes a clear and distinct division for his followers. And I think when Christians hear that, we start nodding our head. And our skeptics in the room, they head for the door. Right, because the dangerous thing that happens is we build this dividing wall between us and them. We create this impenetrable circle between the church against everyone else. And what we do is we sit in our our comfortable little silo and we say, it's the church against everyone else. And we pray for them, not really. We pray for them that they can come back in this circle. And here's the deal. If you're going to draw a dividing line for Jesus, you better understand his mission. You better understand his mission. Jesus brings a clear division, but it's a different division than what our culture says. It's different. Staying inside of the lines, staying inside of your comfortable echo chamber and pointing out across the aisle, staying inside of the lines and not doing anything, not caring about anyone else, that is the antithesis of the mission of Jesus. That is the opposite of what Jesus is calling us to do. The truth of Jesus, the dividing line of Jesus, it's not a solid line, it's a dotted line with inroads coming in and out. And I think this illustration helps. And it's this illustration that the church is, a, is a, not a solid line, but a dotted line where people are going in and out and they're gathering and then scattering and gathering together again to be edified, to be strengthened, to encourage each other, to help each other, to equip each other, and then going out and then coming back in and going out to make disciples of all nations. In the world, division breeds hate. It breeds isolation. It breeds anger. But in the way of Jesus, when the truth of Jesus brings about division, he calls us to love our neighbor more than ourselves. He says, in humility, value others more than you value yourself. And that's especially true for people who don't vote like you. That's especially, pe- that's especially true for people who don't look like you. It's a different kind of division. It's a distinction without the distance. We're not divided from the world, we're in it. And we go out not to be conformed by the world, but to bring someone back with us. Can you imagine if the church looked like that? Can you imagine? So now that we've, we've brought people in with us, where do we go from here? What do we do? And that's where Christian unity is so important. Christian unity, it's only founded in Christ. But here's what Christian unity is not. Christian unity is not founded in politics. It's not. Christian unity is founded in the truth. And let's be honest, in 2020, we have no idea who's telling the truth, right? We have no idea who's telling the truth. And how can we be united without knowing the truth? We need to remember that we're citizens of the kingdom of heaven first that our primary allegiance is to the kingdom of God, that our ultimate hope is in King Jesus, even when the world around us is going crazy. Jesus is not a Republican. Jesus is not a Democrat. He's better. He's better. In Christian unity, it's also not founded in uniformity. And I love this quote by theologian Thomas Oden. He says, the idolatrous overvaluation of unity results in uniformity. It's a tyrannizing excess of superficially imposed unity. It produces dilution. Unity for uniformity's sake, it's superficial and it's diluted. God can make us all more like Jesus without becoming more like each other. You are all uniquely gifted and wired for the kingdom of God to serve others, to faithfully steward the gift that God has given you. And look, when you don't step into that gifting, the church can't reach its full potential. We can't fully be the church without you stepping into the gift that God has given you. And when you don't step into that gift, or you say you don't have a gift, or you ignore your gift, or you step into something else with that gift, then the church suffers. It's not about uniformity with others. And The best way that we can understand Christian unity is by the God that we are united with. We're called to be united because God is united. Christian unity, it's about being one with Christ. And it's about being one in mission. And the Bible uses this metaphor. Um, Use this metaphor over and over and over again. That Christ's relationship with the church, it's like a marriage. It's like a marriage. And and the apostle Paul, he puts it this way. He says, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. And the two will become one flesh. Paul is quoting Genesis two here. Second chapter in the Bible. If you've ever been to a wedding, you've heard this verse before. And then Paul says this, he says, this is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. He says, I'm talking about Christ and the church. Christ and the church are one. The messy, sinful, broken, divided church is one with Christ Jesus. We're not defined by our feelings. We're not defined by our emotions. We're not defined by our temptation. We're not defined by our sin. We're not defined by our Enneagram type. We are defined by our union with Christ. And I talk to a lot of people who have been burnt by the church. A lot of people have been burnt by the church and they say, you know, I believe in God. I'm, you know, I'm kind of getting on this whole Jesus thing, but I just can't with the church. I just want to follow Jesus by myself. I listen to podcasts. I read the Bible occasionally. I even pray sometimes. I'll even attend church sometimes, but I just can't with the church. And they asked me the same question that I asked myself when I left the church. They said, if, if, if I'm united with Jesus, like you just said, if, if I'm good with God, then why bother with the church? Why bother with the thing that has let me down before and will probably let me down again? And I get it. My answer is that your relationship with Jesus will never grow if you have disdain for his bride. If you hate the bride that Jesus loves so much, your relationship with Jesus will never flourish. It won't. And part of Christian unity, it's loving others in spite of all the wrongs that have been committed. You don't get Jesus without his bride. You don't get Jesus without the church. In Christian unity, it's where your relationship with Jesus will flourish. It's where it'll grow. Christianity, it's a we movement. When we come and we study the Bible together, when we worship together, when we edify and we strengthen each other, equip each other, that's where our relationship with God will grow. That's where our relationship with others will grow too in isolating faith. It's where our relationship with Jesus will die. It'll die, I've seen it before. And finally, Christian unity, it's about being one in mission. It's about being one in mission. And and right before Jesus was arrested, right before he went to the cross, Jesus, he prays this this beautiful prayer. Here's what he says: He says, I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. He's praying for you and he's praying for me. That all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. He says, then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. That might be my favorite passage in the Bible. And the mission, it's the same today. That the world will know the love of Jesus, that we can be a light, that we can be a city on the hill, that we can be a testimony to the world that we can go and make disciples of all nations, that we can inspire people to follow Jesus. I haven't been a pastor for very long. I haven't been a pastor for very long, but I have seen, I have heard stories about our community being a testimony to the world. In our very first Timber Grove service, it was almost a year ago. It was November 17th, 2019. And we were excited. Pastor Eric was going to preach live that Sunday, and and he got really sick. He got really sick, and and as the week progressed, he got sicker. And then on Sunday morning, he he calls me and he says, Hey, Cale, I'm not going to be able to preach this Sunday. I'm going to need you to prepare a sermon and preach. And it was my daughter's first birthday party that day. So I was putting up decorations. I was blowing out birthday candles. I was trying to scribble together a sermon and we had an incredible Sunday. We we gathered at at Eureka Heights Brewery. Our Timber Grove team, they came out in droves. They transformed this space into a place where we worshiped God together. We had a, a separate area for all these kids worshiping God in a brewery together. Nathan and the band, they killed it. I shared my story and, and God showed up. And I remember right after the service, a guy comes up to me. He says, you know, I'm not really a church guy. He says, I'm not really a church guy and, and I've struggled with alcoholism most of my life, but I'm, I'm sober for five years now and, and I see these, these beer cans all around and I see the thing that has destroyed my life for years. And then I look to the middle, I look to the center and I see the cross and I hear a message about Jesus, about the Jesus who saved me. He said, I want you to know that your message, your mission, it's for me. He said, your mission is for me. And that's Jesus's mission, it's for us to gather and then to scatter, and then to gather together again so we can hear more stories like that. That we are to be a people united, founded in Christ with uncompromised principles, showing the love of Jesus to the world, being a city on a hill, being a light to the darkness, testifying to the world that Jesus is King. Let's be that today. Pray together. Father, we're thankful for this gift of unity that you give us, God. That you draw near, that you call us to be united together, as you are united. God, let us let us testify about your love. God, let us testify about the way of who Jesus is, of how you have made a way for us. And God, if we have a divided heart this morning, give us an undivided heart. Give us a new heart. Make us a new creation founded in you, founded in your truth, in your grace. God, we're thankful of who you have called us to be. God, let us step into that call. We love you. It's in Jesus' name.